Hello everyone, Linda Ockel, Jenna here again. Very happy to be here with Jimma Still, CEO of Danby Appliances. And um, I believe that um, Jim likes to um, support a certain demographic and I would like Jim to tell us the story about that. Hi, Jim. Hey, how are you, Linda? So first of all, what is Danby Appliances before we jump into the wonderful work you do with refugees? So Danby Appliances is a manufacturer of appliances like freezers, bar fridges, uh, wine coolers, and we sell products like uh, microwaves and even stoves that we don't make. Uh, we make about 2 million appliances a year, so we're a medium-sized uh, enterprise. If my notes are, are true, you make annual sales of 400 million, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. And after this podcast, it'll be much more than that. You're the man to know. <laughs> um, so I met you a couple of times now, and you're very humble, you're very nice, and you're a very kind man. And um, I had no idea how much work you actually did, how much passion um, you put into helping refugees locally. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that story and how this got started, please. Sure. So um, I saw in the news and read about the crisis, refugee crisis, and so I said, well, what can I do to help? And I found that Canada had a private sponsorship program. So I said, I'll sponsor 50 refugee families to come to, to Canada. And then when I started saying, well, if you're going to do 50 families, I can't do it myself. I need to get lots of help because I can't meet 50 families at the airport and move them into apartments and register them in school and get their bus pass and do all that. So I... Uh, approached community groups and said, would they help me with that? And uh, then I put in place a program where we, a settlement program. So I have a director of uh, housing, a director of education, a director of health, a director of mentorship. And we did a, a series of checklists and, and scorecards. So, uh, you know, get a bank account, get a health card, get a doctor, um, get a bus pass, ride the bus, register the kids for school, um, test for ESL level, register people for ESL all that kind of stuff. So I set up, and so we sort of set it up like a business, but of course it's it's not for profit. And I think the reason that the press grabbed a hold of it is this did have to be much more hands-on than doing a donation to the hospital or something where, you know, you basically just write a check and, and you're done with it. So uh, it's, uh, it's not a plaque on the wall. It's sort of an ongoing big thing. And then I, I'm now at 89 families and I've got another 39 coming. So it uh, it went beyond the 50 because I sort of became the poster child of refugee. I would say that. Um, did this start in 2015 or have I got my dates wrong, Jim? Um, no, it would have been 2017. Oh, 2017. Okay. I apologize for that. So you still have a hands-on like you're still hands on with this. You haven't just passed it on to other people to do, have you? You still do an awful lot of work with the refugee thing. You know, I do and I don't. In reality, it's the same as running Danby Appliances. I don't do any work. Everyone else does all the work. But I, but I do orchestrate things, yes. And I do, you know, I meet all the refugees and I, you know, but I generally have a lot of people that do all the work. So when we, I mean, I've met a few of them at the airport, but I don't meet all of them at the airport. I've helped move into their apartments, but I don't help most of them anymore. They help themselves, right? Yeah. My point is, 
you don't just hand over everything. You've, you've done a lot of work to get this going. You obviously have to have meetings with the people involved, you know, your team and stuff like that. So you are still very involved. So my next question was going to be, so you're very busy with Danby Appliances. You're very busy with, with this wonderful program for refugees. I know you do an awful lot of other things in the community. When do you get time to rest and have time for you and your family? Well, I mean, people talk about balance and balance is overrated. And when you look at people who are successful, most of them aren't very balanced. So I think it's overrated and I tend to do what I want to do and what I like doing. So as a result, it's not really work. Like I, when I go visit people, I want to go visit them. When when I'm on your podcast, I want to be on your podcast. I'm telling you, if I didn't want to be on your podcast, I'd just say no. And I wouldn't be on your podcast, but so so it it, do, it doesn't really become work. It just sort of is part of my life. It's it's what I do. You love what you do. You really, um, you know, big in the community. You're not just one of these successful people that say, "Well, I like my community, but I'm not going to be seen in the community." You actually also, I believe. Um, make sure that, I don't know, not all of them, but some of the refugees do get work at Danby Appliances? So, yeah, originally I was not going to hire any of the refugees. But then um, what I learned is they came in, they weren't job ready. And in the first 90 days, there's a lot of appointments. You have to, you know, register with immigrant services and get your health card and, uh, um, you know, get your ESL tested and doctors and dentists and uh, just uh, even getting a bus pass, all this stuff. That you setting up an apartment. This is all stuff you're you're set up. You don't have to go set up your apartment, but all this stuff takes time. So what I did was I put in place a program called Ease into Canada, where we offered uh, refugees a job for 90 days. But the focus is not the job. The focus is learning English. So it's ESL in the workplace. It's English lunch buddies. It's English homework. It's English coaches, and uh, that also. And and then we do resume writing and then we do job coaches to help find people jobs after they've been at Danby and usually more appropriate jobs than the jobs they'd be doing uh, here at Danby. Yeah. Wow. I can't stop saying wow because this this couldn't – was this easy to set up, Jim, or um, was it made easier because you have a lot of trusted connections who could come on board and be part of the team or the board or whatever you want to call it? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so it, it, it was much easier because we did. I did have support of so many well-meaning, nice volunteers. And then I also learned to ask, and I find that people will say yes. And, and, I, and so I actually would feel very sheepish asking for myself, but when I'm asking for someone else, I can be bold and brash and say, Linda, can you come over and help do this? And you're going to say yes, and if you only – only a third of the people say yes. It's still a third more than you would have had otherwise. So I tend to ask for help, and, and I and I get it in spades. Yeah, and do you think that's more typical of a man, a male, versus a female? I, I asked the question because when I was um, speaking at a local event a few months ago, all leadership women in the room, and I did say, you know, can you have a show of hands who likes to ask for help, who will ask for help, and only four women put their hands up to say they like to ask for help. So is it more a guy thing, do you think, or is it not typical of male or female? I actually think it is more female than male. So I find that many women are more willing to ask for help than men. I would say that it's a flaw, and it's a flaw in people. 
uh, to not ask for help because uh, asking for help is not a weakness. Asking for help is a strength. Asking for help is a smart thing to do. But I, well, it's sort of like the the old joke. Uh, you know, the man is going home and uh, he's lost, and I, I, I'm not going to stop and ask for directions because that that would be a sign of weakness. I have a good sense of direction. I know where we're going. I'll drive for another hour. And when I see a sign saying London, well, I know I went the wrong way, and then I'll turn around and come back. And think of the cash you wasted. Yeah, my husband's like that. It causes some stressful moments. That's interesting. That's interesting. So, um, yeah, I also see it as a strength. So you're very, very involved, um, again, with your local church. And I think having these strong connections, whether, you know, it's with your local community, volunteers, your church, having a faith, um, loving the country where you live, knowing, you know, how grateful you are for the life you've had, it, it really then evolves into wanting to help other people because you're passionate about it and you want to give back. In my early days of starting Motivational Steps 19 years ago, I wish I'd have known you then. I did phone up quite a lot of business owners who were successful. Nobody knew who I was and I had a lot of no's. I don't want to talk to you and, and tell you about how I started my business. I haven't got time. So it's become more of a thing, isn't it, for people to help others, especially in business, and also to offer mentorship more so than 20 years ago, I think. I, I think so. I think it's, it's definitely gotten, uh, it's more the norm, I think, now than it was for sure. Which is nice. And, and um, I think Canada in general, but where we live in particular, is a wonderful giving, um, tight-knit community of groups of people who want to give back. So wonderful work you're doing with the refugees. I really, you know, I'm grateful that you're helping them. It's amazing. If ever you do want my help, just ask. Obviously, I'd love to help. So, Danby, you didn't invent Danby, did you? You you actually acquired Danby. You bought Danby um, some time ago. That's correct. Yeah. So I built my first business from the trunk of my car to two billion in sales, and then I made the mistake of retiring. I was retired, but I sat on the board of Danby. The CEO resigned, and I said, oh, I can go in and run it. And then I started running it, and then the ownership group said they wanted me to sell it. I said, how much for? They told me. I said, great, I'll take it uh, because I was missed running a company. And I think that's what's partly helped me is the fact that I did do what everyone dreams when they're young. I'm going to build a business. I'm going to sell it for a lot of money. I'm going to retire. And I did that, and then I learned, gee, being retired – you kind of are what you spend your time on. Do I really want to be the gardener? Do I want to be the handyman? Like, no, if I want to be a handyman, I start a handyman business. So um, I, I like running uh, uh, I like running a company in Danby is where I get that juice from. And you've got a really good culture there, haven't you? The culture really is like the open door. I'm not going to say you're a friend to all your employees, but you are very open to stopping having a chat with them. They all know who you are. Of course, of course. But then we're a small company. So when you're a small company, you need to know everybody for sure. How small is Danby then when you say it's a small company? Well, in in, uh, this location in Guelph, I maybe only have 200 employees. So it's not, so it's pretty, it's reasonably small in Guelph. And of course, I have uh, other factories and other offices where, where I don't know people as well because I can't go to them all, you know, all the time, right? So for entrepreneurs who are going to be, you know, watching the video and listening to the podcast. What kind of advice have you got for them? You know, is it like go for it or don't use your credit card, make sure you can pay your bills kind of deal, you know? All right. So one secret is to sell and then buy. And one mistake entrepreneurs make is to build it and hope that they can sell it. 
Well, if you spend all your time building it and hope you can sell it, it's often not what the customer wants. Where if you get a customer who says, I'll buy that, then you start building it. So it's sell and then buy is one suggestion. And the other thing for entrepreneurs is there is a just do it component. And one of the things I say is fail often, fail fast, fail cheap. So uh, just try it. Like, what's the worst case? You fail. Now, you do have to fail cheap. You don't want to go and risk all of your life something. But at the same time, if you uh, get into analysis paralysis and market research and whatnot, you can do an unlimited amount, and I will tell you it's wrong. Every time I've done market research, you survey 100 people. Would you buy this for $100? And then you go, oh, here it is. Now it's $100. Oh, I wouldn't pay more than 50 for that. I have to write a real check for that. Oh, that, that, no, I didn't mean, I didn't mean me. I meant other people would buy it. Well, so honest you are. I find that as well in business. People really tell you what you want to hear. And then when you're ready for them to buy whatever it is, uh, no, sorry. I just thought it was for the market research. Um, who gave you a helping hand, Jim? Somebody must have helped you along the way. I'm sure that you're such a lovely person. People couldn't say no to you when you, you know, you asked for help. Well, see, I, but I wasn't as good at asking for help when I was early in business because I would do it myself because that was my, uh, like my grandkids said, I'll do it my own self. And, uh, but I had many, many uh, mentors and I would choose my mentors and not even tell them they're my mentors. But I would go have coffee with them. One of them was the uh, owner of Danby Appliances, John, who, who uh, died uh, about a year ago. And uh one of the reasons I, I actually went in to run Danby is I knew he was sick at the time. And, and so in a sort of friend thing, I need to be here and, and help for that. Um, but uh, so he was one of them. And and, uh, and the reason I kept in so, so, such close touch with him, when he was running at that time a company with maybe a thousand employees, and I had myself, you know, I had three people, five people. And he took the time to meet with me and he was always very gracious and, uh, you know, we, and so we kept on having coffee now and again, and I'd run into him at events and stuff like that. Um, another influencer is Frank Hasenfratz, who owns Linamar Machines. He was on my board of directors for 10 years when I was public company. And, uh, and right now in Guelph, he'd have 10,000 employees. So, and, and whenever anybody says, oh, they don't, they're not sure we should have refugees, I say, you're right, we should get rid of those refugees. We better shut down Linamar and they'll get rid of those 10,000 jobs because Frank Hasenfratz was a refugee. So he was a Hungarian refugee and he lived in the um, Montreal train station for a couple of weeks before he came to Guelph. And interestingly enough, he worked at Woods Freezer at Danby. He worked at Danby making and he worked for a year or two, and then he saw, oh, you're buying a whole bunch of these uh, brackets. How much do you pay for them? And they said, oh, we pay $4 for them. How many did you buy? 100000 of them. Well, if I sold them to you for $3, would you buy them for me? And they said yes. And so then he went out and bought a machine and put it in his garage, and he needed another machine. Then he got another contract with another company, and the rest is history. So his company has been really successful. No, that story. That's amazing. Um, so... You, in a way, without you knowing it, have been mentoring me. I'll let you into a secret now because I kind of met you at an event where you were going to be the keynote and I invited you to, you know, meet up with me and get to know more about me, et cetera, et cetera. So you've really, um, you've really inspired me. I love the fact that you're very um, normal. <laughs> you're very friendly, normal people. I've met some people who are really successful and kind of think they're better than you know, anybody else, and I don't like that. You're very kind. I can't say enough good things about you. My husband's going to get worried when he listens to this. <laughs> um, you give us some wonderful tips. I cannot imagine that anybody would say, 
let's not bother with refugees. Um, I think that's an awful thing to say. So I don't want to talk to those people. Thank goodness you didn't listen to them. Um, I think Canada is made up of, you know, so many different, you know, people, diverse people from different countries, including myself. So basically, even though I wasn't a refugee, I found it difficult when I first moved over to settle in for very, you know, obvious reasons. I had financial challenges, divorce, stuff like that. But meeting kind people, you know, like you helped me along the way. So thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope you can have some downtime tonight, have some supper with your family, play a bit of golf. I don't know what you're doing in your spare time. If you're anything like me, you'll be doing a bit of work. <laughs> I also love my work and I don't consider it work. I feel quite blessed to meet people like yourself, you know, that, that inspire me. One of my heroes um, is a Brit um, virgin, Richard Branson, um, yeah, he's a very real person like you and myself. And even though he's a millionaire and I'm not, you know, he talks about his family and giving back. And I think that's very much like you and me. So I won't keep you any longer and uh, have a wonderful evening. Thank you again for being so amazing. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for the kind words. <laughs>